Good morning. Our Bible reading today is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. You may be seated. Woo! What a passage. Well, hello there, guys. Uh, I'm Derek. I'm one of the pastors here at Stonehouse Church. We're in the book of Ephesians, and uh, this is an amazing, amazing book. As we journey through it, um, we're going to be studying out uh, some helpful things in this book in our city groups. Uh, we've got some of them on the way. Yes? Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's great when you get called out right in front of everybody. Sorry, buddy. We've got a handful of these, uh, and if, you, if you'd like one and have not been able to purchase one yet, we'll get one to you soon. Um, but our city groups are walking through Ephesians uh, over the next several weeks as we walk through it here on Sundays, um, and uh, continuing to learn and grow so much from it. Um, so Paul, this week, jumps in right off the bat with verse 15. He says, for this reason... Um, we talked about last week how Ephesians is kind of broke up in half. There's chapters 1, 2, and 3, or kind of the uh, unpacking of some of the deep theological truths of the gospel. Uh, and then chapter 4 begins with this giant word, therefore, which is a very important word. It's not that it's giant in that it's long. It's kind of long, but not that long. Uh, but it's giant in its implications, uh, because Paul is basically saying, because of everything I just got done saying in chapters 1 to 3, boom. Here's how we should respond. Uh, likewise, or similarly, we have this uh, phrase this morning where Paul says, for this reason. And so what he's doing is saying, because of all the stuff that I just said being true, uh, that moves me in this direction. Uh, and what it moves Paul toward is prayer, which is really kind of neat uh, to see that the response of his uh, kind of eruption of praise, which is what we talked about last week, just kind of this bursting forth of blessing toward God uh, for how he has blessed us in Jesus Christ, that after that kind of eruption of praise, Paul responds by saying, man, I, I'm going to pray for you guys, you know. Uh, in light of how great and glorious God is, I want to pray for you. And so last week we did say this, I mean, just summarizing, we said that God is worthy of praise that he alone is worthy of, of praise because in Christ he has accomplished his plan to bring everything together under Jesus. 
We saw that he not only chose Jews like Abraham, but he also chose Gentiles like the ones that Paul was writing to, and that through the blood of Jesus, he has redeemed an entire people, a global people, a many tribes people, a many languages people, a many generations people, a many colors of skin people. He has gathered together a great body, and in them he has shown the glory of Jesus because he is the one who brings all things together. Because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, these two divided peoples, these two divided categories, these two divided histories can now become one to the praise of his glory. And so, therefore, because all this is true, Paul says, and in verse 15, because I've heard of your faith in Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I'm going to pray for you all. That's what he says. So, we're going to dig into that. Let's read it one more time, then we will pray, and then we will see what Paul is praying for the Ephesians. So, here's Ephesians 1, 15, through the end of the chapter 23. We read it again because we want the words of Scripture to become so familiar to us and so uh, central to everything that we are and everything we do. So for this reason, Paul says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. (gasps) For far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are um, needy, needy people um, who are often uh, dwelling on lots of different ideas and concepts of who you are and who we are and what this world is. Um, And so when we come to a moment like this where we open your word, um, that we trust in and believe is is your uh your self-disclosing of yourself to us your your revelation of yourself to us Uh, we know just like paul prayed in this passage we know that we need your spirit in order to give us wisdom and understanding of your word may god more than anything else that we would see um, the glory of jesus that we would know him through the text through the bible and that uh, we would know god because of what he's revealed what you've revealed about yourself. And so help our hearts, help our minds, help our eyes. Uh, Even as Paul prayed in this prayer, God, might we uh, be attended to by your Spirit so that uh, we can grow in our knowledge of you, not for the sake of holding on to that knowledge for ourselves, but for the sake of living a life that gives glory to Jesus uh, in our time and in our place. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this beginning that, that Paul uh, launches into here, and again, similar to last week. So last week we said it was basically one sentence in the Greek, kind of the same thing here. Paul's just like this tremendous uh, run-on sentence writer. Uh, he just gets so full of this, uh, th- these, these lofty ideas, these beautiful uh, truths of, of who God is that he, he wants to get it all out. He just continues to write. Uh, about how glorious God is. And so in the beginning here, he says, you know, because of what is true about God, 
I'm going to pray for you. I, I, I give thanks for you. I remember you in my prayers. And so essentially what we're reading today is a prayer. It's a prayer from Paul. It's, it's very, very theological, but it is a prayer. Um, and it does show us something about prayer, that prayer does, that truth in prayer does matter, that we uh, come to God in truth, that we often pray according to what Scripture has told us to pray, um, and that we want to confess the things and, and bring to God the things that He's told us to bring to Him in Scripture. And so oftentimes we uh, want to lean on Scripture to help guide us even in our praying. And this is one of those great spots. So if you're a Bible writer person uh, or you got that note thing on your iPad or your iPhone or your, what are the other kind of phones out there, Jason? Um, you can pop a note in there and just say, hey, pray this sometimes, right? I mean, I don't know about you. This probably doesn't happen to you. But sometimes when I go to pray, I get really distracted. I don't know what to pray. I know this is shocking. I don't know what to pray. It's like a blank page, and I'm just like, duh. Who wrote something on Facebook? You know? Like, yeah. Right? And I need to come back to things like this and remember what is it that I should be praying. So today we're going to look more at what Paul prayed for than we're going to look at what prayer is. Uh, those are very closely related topics, but we don't have the time to do them both. So uh, if you want more uh, about what is prayer, uh, honestly, I think like two months ago, uh, sometime in February, Jason preached on Daniel 9, uh, and we have that message on our webpage and a podcast. It was an amazing message on prayer. Um, so go back and listen to that. It was in our People Planted series. Um, great sermon to just listen to what prayer is um, amongst other things. But what we want to talk about is what Paul prayed for. And what's cool is that a, a lot of his letters were filled with these opening prayers. And so we can see kind of a repeated pattern in Paul's life, uh, what it is that he prayed for. And a lot of times, it's a very similar prayer. So I think as we look at what Paul prays for today, it will be uh, probably something that will convict us on some level, but it will also propel us or fuel us towards um, a more biblical prayer life. And so I hope that, um, that it moves us in that direction and gives us a tool, something that will be helpful for us as we pray for the people in our lives. So Paul says, I'm thankful for you guys. I, I don't cease giving thanks, to you, or giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In verse 17, uh, is really kind of the, the, the apex of what Paul's really praying for. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Right? And so Paul is saying, I'm praying for you guys to know God. <laughs> My deep prayer, after all of this truth, all of this... Uh, praise to God for who He is and what He has done. The, the, the most useful part of my life in your sake, for your sake, is when I pray for you to know God. That is what I want to pray for. And so we see in verse 17, the prayer is, God, send the Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. So his prayer, Paul says, I, I, I want you to know the truth about Jesus, and so I'm begging that the Father will send you the Spirit. Why? Because the job of the Spirit is to teach us the truth about Jesus. And I'm not just pulling that out of thin air. Jesus himself is the best instructor to tell us what the Spirit is for. And if you open the book of John, to John chapter 14 and to John chapter 16, you'll see very clearly why the Spirit is going to come. Jesus says, i got to go, guys. 
right? I'm going to die, I'm going to rise, and I'm, I got to leave, and it's better for you if I get out of here, right? And if you're hanging with one of your best friends, a guy who's taught you more than anything else you've ever been taught in your whole life, and he tells you that, you're thinking, eh, how? How can, me, how can you leaving be best for me? Well, the leaving of Jesus paved the way for the coming of the Spirit, and because of the coming of the Spirit, now it wasn't required that Jesus be in the room to teach us, but in fact, the Spirit would be in our hearts. It would be with us all. As we look at the Scriptures, the Spirit reveals to us the truth about Jesus. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, is to instruct us about Jesus, to bring us into all truth, Jesus said. And so Paul's prayer for this church, for these people, for the Christians in Asia, is that the Spirit would come and lead them to the truth of God, that they would know their God. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 and, 8, uh, 6 and 7 rather says, Yet among the mature we do, uh, uh, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. This is another passage from Paul talking about this wisdom that he's wanting the Ephesians, that he's wanting Christians to have. The truth of the wisdom of God is that it isn't something that we can just walk out into the world and gain fullness of. The world is not teaching the truth about God. And when I say world, I'm talking about worldliness, right? The heavens declare the glory of God and the earth declares it from, you know, that, that's true. The heavens declare the glory of God, but the truth of God is not taught to us by the philosophies of man, by the wisdom of the age. Paul says here there's a secret wisdom and that in order to see or to know or to gain that secret wisdom, we need help. <laughs> we can't see it ourselves. We're blind to it. Or often we're too selfish or self-absorbed to want it because it often contradicts so much of what we believe is true about ourselves. So Paul's desire for the Ephesians and for us is that we would know this secret and hidden wisdom from God. And we know from all over Scripture, even from here in Ephesians, that the mystery of God, the hidden wisdom of God is revealed in what? In the truth of the gospel. That God, the glorious creator of all of heaven and earth, who had no beginning and will have no ending, sent his one and only son to earth. Why? Because we needed rescue. Because we were far and astray and our hearts were dead and we wanted nothing to do with our creator. Therefore, we had nothing to hope for but doom. And what did God do? He took doom on himself in his son Jesus Christ so that we might have fellowship with God, so that we might truly know God, like Paul says. Now, if we're honest about what we pray for, this may be on the list, knowing God, but more than likely it's either low on the list or not on the list. Right? And this isn't me with a hammer, right? This is me with a broken heart saying, me too. I know what I am prone to pray for, and it's not, oh God, might I know you more, because I don't think that's a big deal. My flesh 
and my mind and my limited nature, they don't think knowing God is enough. I think money <laughs> and comfort, right? And a pain-free life and God get rid of this mysterious grief thing in me. And I, just, I don't want to deal with that. Can you move me past that? Can you take care of that in my family and in my friends? And oh yeah, rescue this person from pain and hardship. And these are all good prayers, but Paul doesn't pray that prayer for the Ephesian church. And what's crazy is this guy's in prison, right? Suffering for the sake of Jesus as he writes this letter, and he's not praying for his own liberation even. Or asking them to pray for his liberation. His prayer is that we would know God, that the church would know God. And this points us to something very important, and then we just sang it a minute ago that the greatest possible thing for our life is not more comfort and a promotion and more money and healing, freedom from grief or suffering or whatever else. The greatest thing that we could ever get in our life is knowing God. And again, that's tough to believe. Why? Because the unsecret wisdom of the world that's out there tells us, no, you need a lot of other stuff. And so Paul pushes us into this truth that no matter what is around us, no matter what we're in the midst of, no matter our situation, our circumstance, our hardship, or our victory, no matter what, that the greatest possible thing is for us to know God. Because in knowing God, we find, again, like we just sang, the greatest satisfaction that our souls could ever long for. To know that we are not just known, but we are loved, that we are treasured, that we are owned by the one who made us, and that he has orchestrated the plan so that we can actually fellowship with him so that we can actually feel his approval, <laughs> so that we can actually sense that he has loved and welcomed us into his family through adoption, like Paul talked about last week. So our prayer then as well might be, or maybe, if the Lord would impose it and lead it into our hearts, that we would begin to pray for a similar thing that the Spirit might come and bring a wise understanding of God. Richard Koken says it like this, let us pray for each other, not just to be happy, but to know God better. For in the glories of his being and his works, God is the source of the deepest satisfaction and joy to his adopted children. Paul's prayer elaborates more on this knowledge of God when he turns the corner in verse 18 and talks about having our eyes opened. He talks about the eyes of our hearts. Now, that's not a physical term. He's not saying you have eyes inside your beating heart and they need to be opened. The heart in Scripture uh, is, is a phrase that talks about kind of the center of our being, um, kind of the, 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 the whole essence of who we are, the, the, the place where we hold our deepest fears and doubts, uh, where we have our security kind of measured. Um, it's, it's the seat of so much of who we are. 
And so when Paul says that the eyes of our hearts or hopes that the eyes of our hearts would be opened, he's saying that the, the, the deepest recesses of the center of your being would be open to the truth of who God is. So verse 18 and 19, let's read that quick. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. And so Paul asks and prays for the eyes of their hearts to be open to three things. Number one, the hope to which they're called to. Number two, the riches of God. And number three, his power toward us. And Paul prays that these followers of Jesus would not just know about, but that they would personally experience the power of the gospel in these ways. That, it wouldn't, that the knowing of God would not just be this, this uh, far-off knowledge that somebody's out there, but that the knowledge of God would be something that's close and deep and personal in these three ways. And actually, the hope that we're called to, we're going to come back to that around uh, at the end, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. The second thing, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints? Now, I've breezed over this passage a bunch of times, uh, maybe even studied it a few times here and there, um, and for years have completely missed what Paul says right here in this section of the sentence. He says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And I think the reason I've missed it is because last passage, the passage from last week, talked about our inheritance, right? And we talked about that. When you're a child, when you're a son, or when you're an adopted son, like we are in the case of God, adopting us out of the evil of the world into his own family, we have an inheritance, and it's secure because we have his name, right? Because we, get, we have possession of that inheritance, and so we have a hope uh, that is sure because we know that God will give what he's promised to give, right? And so I've, I've previously read that inheritance into this passage, but Paul actually changes the pronouns here. And he's actually talking about God's inheritance here, which is interesting. He's saying there's an inheritance that God has, and that inheritance that God has, something that he is hoping for and trusting in and knows will one day fully be his, what is that inheritance? The saints. God's inheritance is the ones he's purchased with the blood of his own precious son, and it gets him excited to think about having his inheritance. Let me say that again. You, belonging to God perfectly forever, is what he's hoping for and excited about when he looks to the future. You are God's inheritance. Now, if we, if we understand our position before God, that we offer nothing, <laughs> that he has all wisdom and all power and all might, and he always has forever and eternity past, and he always will for eternity future. What can I offer God? What is man that you are mindful of him, God, Right? is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Like the grass of the field withers one day. That is man. That is me. 
That is you. And that's humbling to hear what the Bible says about us, that we aren't so great, right? And that's a cure to so many ills in our own souls and in this world to understand, I'm not so great, right? Like, you know that person that gives back the coffee drink because there was too much whatever in it? Like, I get that, you know? But there's a way to do that. There's a way to do that as the central most important person in the world, or there's a way to do that as a, just a peon. You know what I'm saying? If you've ever been there and the barista just hangs their head and it's red and just, you know, like, too much this, you know, just like that, that I'm the center of the universe position, right? And it's not, it doesn't just happen at the counter, the coffee counter. It happens at your work. Bro, it's happening in your marriage. Sister, love you, Right? You're, you're seeing yourself as the center and the most important and one of the most hopeful things in all of Scripture is to dethrone you from that central position in all the universe because you ain't that great. But God is inheriting you and He's joyous about that. What does that say? Wow. That says there's immense value in redeemed sinners to the glory of Jesus. That He looks on this little me and he eagerly anticipates full knowledge and inheritance and enjoyment in all eternity God has done a great work in Jesus Christ to give you an inheritance but also to make you his inheritance you have unbelievable value to your creator. His love for you is profound. And Paul says, I pray that you would know God. And part of knowing God is knowing that He is looking forward to inheriting you. You guys, your creator loves you. Nothing stopped Him from redeeming you. May that transform your heart. May the eyes of your heart be opened to see that. Paul also prays that we would know the power of God toward us. It's cool, not just the power of God. That'd be neat, right? Like when you go to the lightning game. Sorry, I had to. And that, that what is that thing called? shoots the lightning out from the Tesla. Tesla. Yeah, Tesla. Thank you, guys. And, and, you know, the lightning bolt, maybe you've never been to a game. Let's go to a game! So the lightning bolt, you know, it's like, and it gives you that, like, hair standing up the back of your neck feeling. You're just like, oh, my gosh, if that touches me, I'm gone. You know what I mean? It's one thing to behold power and to fear power. But Paul here doesn't say, I want you to know God's power. He says, I want you to know God's power toward you. Now that's a whole nother, that's like I know the size of the army and I know that they're on my side or maybe that I'm on their side, whatever, right? That that power is not against me, but it's for me and it's winning a war that I cannot win for myself. It is achieving a, a status that I have no hope in achieving on my own. The power of God toward me is so great. The power of God is amazing, yes, but it is toward you. How? 
has the power of God been toward you? Well, Ephesians 1, 20 and 23, and 21 and 22 and 23 helps open that up a little bit more. Because Paul expounds on this power that is toward us. It is a power that, verse 20, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So I said we were going to get to the hope, and the hope is found in the power of God toward us. And the power of God uh, that is toward us is the power that has already raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, it is the power that has secured Christ's dominion over all things, and it is the power that has given Christ as the head to the church, those three things. And so our hope that we have is rooted in the working of God already in the past and the working of God into the future. The hope that we have is embedded in what God has already done with his power, and that points us toward what is going to happen with God's power. Does that make sense? Because what has happened? Jesus has been raised from the dead. God displayed his power over the world and over one of the world's greatest powers, which is death. God displayed his power in the raising of Jesus from the dead. And that wasn't just a power display. God didn't just walk out to boast of his own power. He did that toward us. Because Christ's resurrection is what gives us life. And so God's power to raise Christ and his victorious resurrection, it gives us something to look forward to. It's a hope of future resurrection. Paul speaks elsewhere of how Jesus is the first fruits of those that will be raised from the dead, that we will follow in that model, in that likeness. We too one day will be raised from death ultimately to live before God forever. And so we see that this power is secure in the fact that this victory has already been won. And then we see that Jesus has been lifted up and put in a place that nobody else has been put. That he is the only name given uh, under heaven, given to men by which we must be saved. That there is no other name above that name. And that at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and, and confess that he is Lord. The power of God has set Jesus in a place that no other person will ever be. And so when we follow after Jesus, we follow the one who's been enthroned on high. And we talked about this last week and we'll unpack it several more weeks in the coming of this passage that in Christ then we have security because he is enthroned in the heavenlies. And so our resurrection is secure because Christ rose first and our place in heaven is secure. Why? Because Christ is already there. So we look back and see what God has done. He rose Jesus from the dead, and we know we will be risen from the dead. And we look at where Christ is now, which is ascended and enthroned in heaven on high, and we know that one day we too will be ascended. And we will live with him for eternity. And then finally we see that Jesus, who has this honored position that God has put all things under his feet and given him authority 
over all things. Psalms 8.6 repeats the same refrain. says, you have given him dominion over the works of your hand, hands. You have put all things under his feet. And so we are told by Paul here that the, the reason that Jesus is put uh, over all things is so that the church, his body, might begin to reflect him and fill the world with his knowledge and glory. That's a tremendous opportunity and also a great obligation that we get to be now the way that God fills the world with the knowledge of him. That because Jesus has been put on high and he's also been made the head of the church, we therefore carry out his deeds. We carry out his life. We live as in Christ that the world might see that he has been risen, that he is enthroned on high, and that God's power has been manifest in him. And so this is the, the kind of the, the foremost introduction of the idea of the church uh, in the book of Ephesians. And Paul, once you get into the later chapters, he elaborates much more on what the church is, but there's a, an extremely lofty uh, uh, truth being communicated already about the church. And the church is, what was talked about last week, the church is the coming together of all that uh, in, in one head under Jesus. So the church is all believers in all languages, all tribes, all tongues, all colors, all histories, that, that that is being brought together to display the great work of God in the world. And this is the power of God toward us. God rose Jesus from the dead. He will rise, raise you as well. God has elevated Jesus into the heavens, and he will bring you there to be with him. And God has given Jesus as the head over the church. God will fill the earth with the glory of him. And he'll do it through us, his people, redeemed and prized. And so Paul's desire for the church to know God is displayed in these different realities that we would know the hope that we have that we would know it's ours and it's sure and it's held by God and it's God's power that has done it toward us and that we can hope in that. And that also we would know that we are God's inheritance and that God has done a great work to show us his true power toward us as we believe in him. And finally, I think this just pushes us toward uh, an understanding of how we might grow and know better how to pray for the people in our lives. Understanding that praying for changes in circumstances or, or asking God for things, those aren't ultimately bad. It's totally fine to pray for those things, but the greatest thing that anybody could ever have is to know God more and to begin to actually pray that for our friends, to actually begin to pray that, husbands for your wives and wives for your husbands, for your roommates, for your classmates, for your workmates. To pray, God, would you give them the greatest thing they could ever have, and that is to know you more. If they don't know you, to know you now. And if they do know you, to know you again, and to know you more. And to return and return and return to the great glory of who you truly are. And that is the, Paul, or the prayer of Paul here in this uh, opening prayer for the Ephesians. May it be our prayer too. 
Our hope then is that we would know God. That whatever circumstance you find yourself in, that you would know God there. That you would know He's with you. That you would know He's for you. That you would learn more of Christ in the different places of your lives. That we would desire deeply the knowledge of God. That we would long for that for us and that we would long for that for others. And that we would know the power of God toward us as the Holy Spirit fills us with wisdom and understanding to know God more. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray like Paul this morning and we give thanks for your church. We thank you, God, that because of the power that you have worked toward us, because of what Christ has done, that you have made a people for yourself that are a part of your body and a part of what you're doing to fill the earth with the knowledge of God. And Lord, if that brings pressure into our hearts and our minds, I pray that you would relieve that and that we would immediately put the weight on you knowing that it's our opportunity to, to be used by God to fill the world with the knowledge of God, but it's your power at work through us that will do it. And that we can trust that, that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in us today. And that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you're leading us in wisdom that we might know God. And so we do pray that, God, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that you would gift us your Holy Spirit as we gather, you would gift us your Holy Spirit as we read your word, that you would gift us your Holy Spirit as we talk about who you are and what you've done and what you're doing now in our lives today, that you would give us the Holy Spirit to lead us to a wise understanding of God, that we would not look to the world to teach us, but we would look to you to teach us, and that you would indeed do that. Reveal to us more of the truth of yourself that would comfort our souls, that would give us reassurance, that would root us in the power of God. That is our one hope. We thank you for that. We love you. We thank you for this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.